You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. You know what I haven't um, asked you much about in the last, oh, I don't know, month or so, Bracken? No. How is your training going? How are things going, man? Things are interesting, Kirk. We haven't talked about it. In fact, I've talked about it with several of the athletes I work with recently. They've all asked me the same question on their calls. What about you? We get to the end of a call. What about you? What's coming up next for you? What What are you doing? Are you work? Are you trained? What's happening? So I guess it's a common question right now. Well, I think because I've been kind of dipping off on the weekends a little bit. I don't feel like we've touched base as much, like just randomly catching up. Neither of us have been racing. Your major surgeries behind you. I have nothing on my calendar at the moment. We just haven't like caught up as much on like your progression. And so I've had a chance to talk about my running a little bit mm-hmm. on the podcast, but we haven't, believe it or not, we typically always hear about yours and we haven't lately. No. And I miss it. Well, it's been intentional. I actually had a, yeah. I've had a couple calls with Hunter recently. And on the last one, he said, So are you still just not telling me what you're doing? I said, I'll tell you what I'm doing, but yeah, I'm still not talking about what I want to do because just, I I still am sticking to that. I'd rather show up and do something rather than hit another surgery or another setback or a disappointing race, having talked a big game like that, that, that interest has left me predicting. What does it be, be about it? Don't talk about it. And that usually is to arrogant pricks that's directed towards not you. Which are neither of those. Well, yeah, and I think there was a stage of life where that was me. <laughs> and then that left for a while. And now the, the new stage of life is that I'm constantly talking about a comeback. And that's a depressing boat to be in. I don't like that. Well, that's not your fault either. That's not like you choose to be coming back from something constantly. We, we all know that that's not the case. So fill me in. We don't need to go down that rabbit hole of the comeback, but like, what? If, how is it? How is it going? It is. A, it is a bit of a rabbit hole. Like, if I if I talk about it a little, there is a bit of a rabbit hole to get into. So, I guess, do you want just a a surface level update, or do you actually want to know what's been happening with me? Well, no, I actually want to know what's been happening <laughs> okay. with you, Bracken. It's, it's going to take at least uh, no, two this, or three minutes this, to get through. Well, if that means anything, that means ten or fifteen. I, this wasn't lip service. I okay. actually want to know how things are going. Well, things were not going well. And I, I really only talked to, I, this is the first time I'll really talk about it on here because I didn't even like saying the words <laughs> that I'll say. I've only talked about it with people close to me. And recently I've started to talk to some athletes I work with about this, but I'm fairly certain. And before I say this, just know I ruled out everything I can logically rule out, which means that the only things that remain are possible causes of what I'm going through. I believe I am going through some long-term effects of COVID, but not in the long-term COVID stereotypical way where it's respiratory, life energy, uh, heart, lungs, brain fog, that kind of thing. I'm having CNS hyperinflammation issues. Hmm. And 
I talked to one athlete I work with, a guy that I'm, I'm friends with, and he's like, yeah, you know, you're 35. At 35, that's what happened to me. It just that year got rough. And I had to reevaluate how I worked out and things like that. And other people are like, well, you know, it's you're coming off surgeries and that's the kind of thing that happens. Um, but the reality is that this didn't happen over the course of a year or six months or a month. This happened right after COVID. And I came back from my second knee surgery a year prior to COVID. So I'd already completed my rehab. I had already run a six-hour race. I would already run a stadium race. I had already um, done 5K time trials. I'd done a heavy block of lifting, and I didn't have any of this inflammation response after any of that stuff. So basically what's happening is that what my ankles, knees, hips used to feel, and it's not muscular, it's all joint ligament area. It's like the junction points. If it hinges on my body, this is where it settles. All of those lower body junction points, the way they would feel after a mountain beast are now the way they feel after a quality day. Mm. And the way they used to feel at a quality day afterwards is now the way my body feels after a regular workout. Like this huge inflammation response, this like CNS, my central nervous system sees the impact of a workout and goes into overdrive is what it feels like. And I, like, I feel like I have bad tendonitis in my ankles after a workout. And then 24 to 48 hours later, they're totally fine. Or my right knee will feel like I need surgery. And the next morning, it'll be totally fine. But I get this big, almost uh, like pendulum swing to the side, way further than it used to go for an effort that's way less than it used to be. So I got done with, I had surgery in June and I had this 10 to 12 week rehab plan back to normal training. And now I just completed my third week of what I would consider normal-ish training. And we are in the second week of October. So what was supposed to be roughly two months of rehab and then the third month back to sport that would have been June, July, August has now turned into September, October. So I'm now hitting 30-ish, 35 miles per week. I'm now running semi-quality workouts. And I still, once or twice per week, have to skip my next run because I ran back-to-back days and my ankles can't handle it or my knees can't handle it. It's a very strange thing. So that that's what I've been doing. I've just been continually removing things from my schedule and switching my... I follow like six or seven different protocols now of trying to see what can I do on the same day for a while. I couldn't lift and run on the same day for a while. I couldn't play basketball and run on the same day or the back to back days. And now it's getting a little better. I've started to turn the corner a bit, but it's still, I have an, an inappropriate response to the work that I do. I can do any of the work. I just cost the cost is very great right now. Didn't know I was going to open that can. Yeah. You know, and I don't want to make it about the COVID thing. That's why I haven't talked about it because you don't want to be, well, yeah, I'm guessing. I'm not a medical professional. But it's to the point where I don't care what's causing it. I'm at the point of trying to deal with the ramifications of whatever's causing it. Like, who cares what's causing it? Is it old age? Is it COVID? Is it some weird CNS thing that's going on? It almost doesn't matter. Yeah, it'd be nice to fix it. But I'm trending the right way. So now it's just about how do I respond to it? And so that's where I've been for like another nine weeks and things aren't going like perfectly to plan and you don't know why necessarily and you're trying to 
make sense of it. It's very difficult to talk about it at, for the fear of sounding weak or crazy or too cerebral or heady or hyper reactive like, oh, just ahead or hyper reactive it's like when i was you know going through some of my struggles whether it was like you know something when you say that it screams like just go get a lyme disease test to be to check ah, i thought about that this weekend kirk you've been camping a ton point being is like there's a lot of things that could cause something but when things aren't going well and you can't explain them it's just easier not to talk about them than open the can because once you do, you can't close it again. And so even something like this, like I don't get why my body's being this way, um, isn't like you don't want to go scream that from the mountaintop because it insinuates like a weakness or an uncertainty and it's like just like not worth opening. So like I was and have been the same way when you can't understand something and you're trying to wrap your head around why things aren't going maybe exactly as they should – it's easier to keep your mouth shut. So I understand why you haven't spoken about it. I would do the same thing until finally you like come to terms with the fact that something is different and it's not shameful mm -hmm. and not saying like things are going horribly for you, but it is an interesting, interesting thing. Yeah. But it's trending positive. It's getting better. Mm -hmm. Three, two and a half weeks ago for the first time I thought during a workout, Ooh, I'm going to be able to do this again. Like I've got something in me. It, it, it took until that would have been the end of September for me to feel one workout where I actually felt like I could be dangerous again. And then the next day I woke up and thought I might need surgery. And then the next day I woke up and I was fine. But it just, I don't, I've, after three surgeries, I've gotten used to feeling and looking helpless. Like having people see you totally helpless. I don't mind looking that way anymore. As long as it's justified, I don't want to talk about it as if I'm helpless here. And then a week later, I'm fine. It's like, oh, the boy who cried wolf. I, that's what I'm, I'm, I need a handle on it before I could speak too much about it. But now that it's trending better, now that I can handle a bit more and I'm starting to feel like my, a version of myself again, this is right now how I would expect to feel if I was running for the first time in a while, like appropriately beat up. But if I do a hair too much then I'm way over. So I still don't have everything fixed, but it's at least moving in the right way where I'm not just like flailing around in the dark anymore. Yeah. And it could be the, uh, you know, as you mentioned, the perfect storm mm -hmm. of getting older, coming off of like, let's call it two years of in, maybe more of inconsistent resistance to impact type training. Over three. Three years. And then you add in COVID, which can uh, induce a big time inflammatory response, even after symptoms have completely uh, alleviated. Um, I have a, a couple of clients now, and Jess, my girlfriend included, um, we've been running together a little bit lately, and she sounds like she's breathing through a straw. Mm. She never has until she got done with COVID. And um, another client of mine, uh, strength training, he had COVID. He was out maybe about a month ago. Uh, we can have a 30 pound dumbbell in one hand for overhead shoulder press, and he can barely get a 10 up on his one side. Really? He can't get his brain and body to connect. It's not the side he got his um, vaccine in either. It's the opposite side because people will point the finger at like, oh, what side did you get jabbed in? Well, that side being goofy. Well, that's why. Da, da, da. Um, but no, it's the opposite side. And so we still like his body is like not functioning properly. And it's direct. He came back and something was different and he can't get his right side to fire. Um on upper body movements it's the most bizarre thing so so to say that maybe it's inducing some sort of like 
soft tissue or joint inflammatory response isn't beyond the realm of possibility. I've no. directly seen two people uh, be affected by that. But what do you do about it? Well, you just do the best you can and do helpful things and take your time and pace yourself with your comeback. That's right. Right? That's right. And that's yeah. what it's been. It's been readjust. I, I hate the phrase, you know, moving the goalposts, but that's what it's been. It's been removing things off the schedule, changing the way my schedule looks, and constantly pushing out where I expect to be rather than arrive at fitness. It's like I was talking about with that five, four, three, two, one threshold workout. Mm-hmm. Like I want to be able to do 15 K worth of work. And right now I can do five to six K running. So the rest is on other. Right. So I'm, I'm my goalposts right now are fill in the bucket of training with higher percentage of running and impact. So it's, it, everything's coming back slower, like, by a magnitude of three than what I anticipated. And th- that even mm. what happened last fall in the spring before that and the fall before that it is such a drastic drop off that it, it couldn't solely be one like thing like, Hey, you turned 35. Right. It's like, no, I, I hit January is what happened. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we could actually make an entire episode. Probably. Of it. But this will flow into what we're going to talk about. Yeah, it, it will. Uh, I, I can assume that there's no 52 week, Bracken Crocker training plan that needs to be followed day to day, or is it more of a loose guideline now? As I mentioned, like I am intuitively training, meaning I'm not hitting my next quality day until I'm ready. I'm not hitting my next long run. Like I'm all, if you look at my, typically if you go years back and look at my Strava training log, it's like, oh, it's Tuesday. No, no wonder Kirk did something. Mm-hmm. It's Saturday went for a long run. Now it's like all over the map and it makes no sense logistically except to my body, which is what matters. So anyways, go ahead. Well, I'm doing something I haven't done in the past. And what I started to do here was I can do, I could do any type of work. Like I said, like I did a, I did a 75 minute hill workout over at Lapham Peak and felt pretty appropriately crappy during it. Like a good type of out of shape, the way you should feel. And then for three days, it was like running is not an option because I seriously think I need ankle surgery. That's, that's what it felt like. And then suddenly it was fine and move on. So I was just hit a workout and fill in the next few days until I'm ready to hit another workout. But it was such a depressing cycle where I would just feel bad. I was limping. If I did a, did work, every time I got off the couch the rest of the weekend, it was like, hobble, get yourself moving again. It was really bad. So now I've gone back to a strict schedule. Tuesday, or what is it? Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, something like that is what I'm doing. And I'm just, I have a set workout that I'm going to do, and I do a percentage of it. However far I can get into it until I have the first warning sign of what I now know means I'm going to be rocked tomorrow, I stop right there. And then Mm -hmm. I just fill in the rest of it on the skier or the rower or whatever it's going to be. Power hiking if my ankles are okay and assault bike if they're not. And and ankle things aren't something I deal with. It's very strange, especially since I haven't been racing and haven't rolled them or done anything. It's bizarre. Anyway, that's what I'm doing. I'm keeping the schedule and I'm just increasing the slight dose each week of how far I get through a workout until in theory, I'm doing full workouts again. So I'm keeping consistency of days rather than hit full workouts and push back as far as I need to. And it's kind of been yeah. like you where it's intuitive. If I get to that day, I have my workout scripted. I'll adjust it based on how my body's feeling that day. And it's been really nice. I'm getting in work that makes me think I could enjoy this style of training where I don't have a race necessarily on the horizon. And I'm kind of just like this weekend, I was supposed to do a stair workout Saturday. 
or sorry, stair workout Thursday and my threshold work Sunday. And I did my threshold work uh, Thursday or Friday instead because my body just was ready to do it that day. So I just swapped the workout. And that was fun. I don't typically do that kind of thing, but it was fun. I just went out at night, put the kids down, and in the dark went out and ran a hard tempo on the on the trail, and it felt really awesome. Yeah, I saw a Concordia visit in, on your Strava mm-hmm. uh, as well. Um, well, can you keep us updated now, Bracken, now that we're – we we I want we want to re we want to reinvest in you Bracken, you know we want to reinvest in your in your comeback here. So I would like to reinvest. You said it would take two to three minutes, and I asked you about twelve minutes ago. So um, that was a good worthwhile conversation. Um, I didn't know any of yeah. that. So um, yeah, that means we need to touch base more too, doesn't it? Probably. Um, yeah. So uh, I guess what you have going on, kind of segues into something that I wanted to talk about today. This piggybacks the Tyler German episode on uh, Friday. Really good listen, by the way. I really enjoyed that conversation because I learned a lot about the what what it's like to live the level of athlete life he is while still being like a normal person. Like just the things I'll never know about being on a pro team or trying to hit standards or things like that. Very insightful. Anyways, great listen with Tyler. He's very well-spoken and he, he was very open. That was good. But he mentioned something in his interview. And then I've had a few athlete conversations. And then it's something that I am doing myself. And now Bracken, hearing you talk, it's like, well, no shit. You got to do exactly what we're going to talk about today. And that is pace yourself. And when you hear that, you think, uh, so the pacing episode, no, this is actually the opposite of a pacing episode. This is pacing yourself in the grand scheme of things in life balanced with your racing in how frequent you hit hard workouts or how often you're racing, how many nights in a row you're going without enough sleep and still choosing to hit your workout until you're so burnt out and cross-eyed tired. You realize you haven't paced yourself in the big picture the overarching theme of your life intermixed with training pace yourself. So longevity can be part of your endurance experience. The only reason I'm still running at 39 and somewhat well is because I find a, I found a nice balance between life and training and other things that are important to me. And I'm not doing anything flashy. And I've talked about this too much probably lately, but I think if I do anything well, it's pacing myself in the grand scheme of things, having other hobbies intermixed that doesn't focus all in on one thing. And so with you coming back and then Tyler German mentioning something about how they approach high-level workouts mm. with his training group, um, we need to talk this out, man. I have so many athletes. I'm going to say so many athletes who just are burning at both ends, life, racing, training, and they wonder why they hit their goal races at the end of the year and they don't have a foundation to stand on because they're cooked. And so pace yourself. It's timely. What do you want to piggyback with that? Yeah. Well, it's timely. We just talked about approaching your off season. Start thinking about what you've done well, what you haven't done well, what you're going to do moving forward. This is the time because pacing of your season is so important. It's funny. When you first texted me, remind me, Bracken pace yourself. It's not what you think, but just remind me that when I hear pace yourself, I have one story. I think I've said it and it's very short, but at Campbell university, there's this, uh, Campbell was famous for recruiting Canadians. So we had a ton of Canadians on our team and one of them, her name was, uh, Amy, I believe. And she was at the conference track meet outdoor and a teammate is running the 800. 
and the teammate comes through in between 400 and 500 on the turn. So you're coming up on 300 meters to go in the race, and Amy's screaming out, Pace yourself! <laughs> Pace yourself! <laughs> and everyone's looking at her like, that's that's not appropriate right now. That's, that's not appropriate at all. No, she's trying to make up ground, re-engage with the front of the race, and go, pacing is gone. And so whenever I hear pace yourself, I always think like that is, <laughs> it's inappropriate. But this point, looking over the season, it's inappropriate not to pace yourself. That we get caught up in how how much can I do now in order to be ready for this? Or I like the idea of I've got a race coming, I need to prep for that, and then a race and prep for that, and then I've got a recovery and prep for that. Like, that's not proper pacing. The proper pacing, if you have to really think of it like putting, since you're a golfer. When the ball comes off of the putter, it's not about did you choose the correct pace to get part of the way there or three quarters of the way there. It's no, you chose the correct pace of your putt to arrive so that it comes almost to a dead stop as it hits the bottom of the cup. And oftentimes it looks way too fast at the beginning because you have to get over a little hump, a little uphill rise, or it looks like it's way off to the right, but then the green's going to bring it back down, or it looks way too slow and then the green's going to speed up as you get there and then it picks up pace and it arrives perfectly. A good putt is putted with the cup in mind, not with whatever sitting right in front of the ball. And that's how the season has to be. It's inappropriate not to look at the scope of your year and your decade when approaching your pacing. You're satisfied with that analogy, aren't you? I can see. I mean, I fit too many ones one. in the same thing, so I'm I'm happy with that. I mean, that's in, that's incredible. Good job. Um, I agree with that fully. I think I think the big thing with this is we get caught up in the first or next immediate task at hand, whether it's I got to get my quality day in on Tuesday, or I got to have nail this race in two weeks, or I got to get in my long run for the benefit of my progression on a Saturday and the list goes on and on, but it's like, you need to take a step back and then you need to take 10 more steps back and mm -hmm. you need to look at everything as if you are God looking down from above and saying, all right, well, who is Bracken? Well, Bracken is a father. He's a coach. He's a speaker. He's a podcast host. He's also an athlete. And we need to find a way in which not everything drains the cup all the damn time to the point where everything is done at 80% because no way something can ever be fully performed at 100% because the cup is being pulled from, is being drained in all directions. And so the point is, is that if you pace yourself correctly, we talked to Tyler German and he said, you know where I left my grandma's race three weeks earlier he did a workout and he's like you know what i raced three weeks earlier i didn't i didn't get to the race i i, I blew my load so to speak three weeks left early my race in training left my race in training exactly and you can leave your race your race that matters in a race that didn't matter two months earlier you can leave and that is a that is for real and i think oftentimes we glorify the hustle, the daily grind, the 4 a.m. alarms, the, um, you know, racing for experience, which I think all of these are, you need to do all of those things at times. But like ultimately, like if you don't pace yourself, and I know it's so hard to invest long-term, but if there's anybody who can invest long-term looking months, years, decades down the road, it's an endurance athlete because everything we do is 
typically not immediate satisfaction. It's for future benefit. And so we're probably going to come at this from maybe two different angles today, Bracken. I don't know, mm -hmm. but like stepping back and making sure that this is something that you have a healthy relationship with for years and decades to come. And then also not getting distracted three weeks into your base phase when for some reason you feel a little slow and you decide I need 400 meter repeats to brush my ego. And then you start trapping yourself before the season has even started. And so there's like two big, like a philosophical way we can look at this and then like a, a more tangible way mm -hmm. we can look at this. And so just like kind of getting both of those points across is what I was hoping for today. Um, I'm sure there's probably other angles you want to take it, but I don't know where you want to start based on what we've already said. Well, I want to start much as I did with the off-season approach, which is you have to self-identify. You have to figure out what type of person am I pacing-wise. There are people like Ryan Atkins and Chris Roglowski and Kylian Jornet on this planet who are just life begets more life. The more they're out there playing and racing and thrashing themselves, the more fuel and energy they have in this world. And that's powerful. And they have to understand their pacing. If you're that type of person, if you slow play it, you're probably going to get dull and sluggish and antsy and not really be able to empty your tank. Whereas if you're someone like me and you try doing that, you're going to exist in a state of fog because you cannot keep up on a recovery and regeneration basis. So identify who you are historically. Are you the person that thrives on two hours of sleep and just go, 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 go? Or are you the person that needs 10 hours of sleep? Identifying who am I is very important for your pacing. Because just like that putt, Kirk, you, you watch golf on TV ever? Yeah. And as the long putt first leaves the club, there's kind of this silence and people kind of just murmur or whatever. And then as it gets closer, suddenly everyone realizes what's going to happen. And it's like, oh, and, and the crowd rises. It. That's how it feels to arrive in fitness when it counts. Like that, that feeling of momentum where suddenly you realize exactly what's going to happen. Oh my good. I'm going to arrive to my marathon really fit and healthy. But the opposite thing happens true when partway down that putt, Everyone kind of goes, uh, like, oh, this is going to run out of legs. Or he, he hit that way too hard, and this is out over the green now at this point. That feeling of that crescendo, that build, is what everyone really wants out of their season. And identifying who you are is the first step towards where you go from there. Well, I think people like Killian Jornet and Chris Roglowski are the problem. <laughs> In the nicest way possible, we mean that. And. In the nicest way possible, meaning that a lot of us look to accomplished people in our sport and think, well, this is what they're doing or this is and – and I should be able to do that or I want to emulate my version of that. And it's just not sustainable for 99% of the population. And you also could argue, you know, you like to use the saying, are they good because of or in despite of? Mm -hmm. Like how good could a Killian Jornet be or a – Ryan Atkins, if they just focused, for example, like a, like an Atkins would be a good example mm -hmm. of that. Um, so point being is there as much as yeah you can use them as that example, you also it's like it's almost the last thing I want to do because they're such outliers, right. right? But you make a good point. You could argue both and be right um, sides of that coin. And even if they're not the example, there's someone a notch or two down from that who does need a bit more yeah. in their life who does get stale if they don't race often. I think it's like, 
you know, more often than not, I know we preach balance on this podcast, but more often than not, we're like, you know, what do we ask at the end of the Tyler German episode on Friday? Give us your flashiest best workouts you hit mm-hmm. to get you ready for the half marathon to marathon. Let's talk about speed work. Let's do this. What if we just talked about like the boring stuff, which we do once in a while and do our mm-hmm. best to do it. But yeah, that other stuff, like how long can you go on two hours of sleep? How many weekends can you race in a row? How many flights can you hop on and off every weekend before rent comes due and you get sick or run mm-hmm. down or your long-term progression is ruined? So it's like, uh, there's a lot of rabbit holes you could go down with it. But I think the biggest thing is, all right, let's start with like, can I just start like philosophical yeah. and then we'll talk about maybe more nuanced is like, I know we get comments about swearing. I guess I'll just, uh, I'll just abbreviate this one, but like you have your bucket of F words, call it your bucket of, I'll say it to people who don't mind if I swear, but your bucket of fucks. I said it one time. I won't say it again. And we only have so many to give. And I truly believe this, whether you're Achillean Jornet or you're couch to 5k, just getting into this, like our bucket can only take so much and then it overflows, right? Like I really believe this. And that can mean if you're all in on racing and training and bettering yourself, like that might fill up 80% of your bucket. And then only 20% of your Fs are left for your family, your nutrition, your personal life, Mm -hmm. dating, whatever it might be. But eventually if you try to do it all and you try to be the best mom and the best or the best dad or the best damn teacher, the best at your job, and be there to make breakfast for the kids, but also like get your own run in and then take time to travel to races, like your bucket of F words is going to overflow. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt. And that is not sustainable. That's when the tail, that's when the sock gets shoved in the tailpipe of your car and it doesn't function anymore. Like your car doesn't run. Well, you might want to start by taking the sock out of the tailpipe, you idiot. And that means like you're jammed up, you're backed up, and then energy just isn't flowing the way it needs to flow anymore. And so you got to take a hard look at your bucket and be like, all right, where are my F words coming from that are going into this bucket? And I'm telling you that, sure, you feel super focused and you feel like I'm getting up at four and I'm getting my training in and I'm still showing up to work at 730 and giving it my all and then dipping out of work early to get on my flight and go run back-to-back Spartan races and do it again. And yes, you can get away with it for a while, but eventually some gives. And what do you want to give? Like long-term, do you want to have a healthy family relationship or do you want to have a girlfriend or do you want to have race well? Or what if, just what if you could do it all? You just slowed your roll. (laughs) You just didn't live for that day or the next day. You lived long term. And and I'm not, I don't know how specific I need to get with this with you guys because I could get real granola on you pretty quick, really hipster with this. But it's like, just look at your bucket and like take a step. Like if you're pulling big from one or putting a lot of one thing in this bucket, like you got to be willing to dial back somewhere else so that bucket doesn't overflow. So how important is your training and racing to you? How important is your wife to you? How important is all this other stuff? And yes, I'm getting fluffy, but I think you understand where I'm going with this, right? It's like if you're running and that bucket's overflowing, 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 you're going to flood yourself out of the room. And then you know what happens? You hit your breaking point or you're unhappy with your results or somebody at home is unhappy with you and you're sleeping on the couch. Like literally that is how this works if you don't manage your in and out flow to that bucket. And so- I think there's a couple of my athletes that need to hear this right now, and this is mostly for selfish reasons, but I wanted to start with that side of things. And I know, I don't know what you take of that, Bracken, if that's, like I said, too fluffy for you or not, but it just needs to be said. 
No, it's 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 not too fluffy. If you let's just take a look at if if there were some greatest of all times in sports, since we're talking athletics, let's say uh, Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, Lance Armstrong. You know what are the common threads there? Divorced, miserable, a trail of people left behind them, because all their bucket is entirely full with their vision. And that is it. There is not space for other people. And if there is, the space is never going to be enough for that other person. It works short term, but long term, a marriage does not get supported by leftovers. It just doesn't. Friendships don't get supported by leftovers. Business partners don't get supported by leftovers. And when you prioritize sport alone, everything else is leftovers. And that's the only way that everyone's bucket gets full. It doesn't matter how good you think that you can sort things out. When you become obsessive about one thing, that energy has to come in that time from other places. So no, I don't think you un- uh, oversold it. If anything, you undersold that being obsessive is glorified in this culture because it can lead to success, but it also leaves a wake of destruction behind you in life. Yeah, that's a good point. I think, I think I'm feeling a little guilty about something here. Can I Do tell it. you why? Tell me. Yeah. I'm feeling a little guilty because we had an episode where we talked about motivation and how I think motivation is bullshit and the word is discipline. Mm-hmm. And we sold you, which is, I still stand by this episode, but I have a little bit of guilt with it saying like, uh, like you're just weak. Like if you're not getting your stuff done, like be disciplined. That alarm goes off, you get up. If this happens, like these are excuses you're making. You're just not being mm-hmm. disciplined. You're being weak minded. You're not getting stuff done. It has nothing to do with motivation. It has to do with discipline. And I think glorifying that hard-ass lifestyle, that discipline, that Goggins, three hours of sleep a night, Cameron Haynes out there doing his thing, like those type of guys. And it's admirable, yes, but we don't see them behind closed doors. We don't know how truly happy or unhappy they are. Their bucket is full of one thing and maybe it's full of narcissism and we don't we don't see that side of it. We don't see what hasn't gone right. I'm not and I'm not this isn't a relationship podcast, but just to say like um I don't know. I, I, it's easy to get glorified is what I'm saying with like the discipline thing and like telling you to like just stiffen up and do this. But there's also a point in which like you gotta back you got to backpedal a little bit on that and not always live and die by that conversation we had. And that was very motivating for some. We got a lot of messages on that talk. However, at the same time, there's a time and a place. Is there not? Yeah. And I don't think you need to feel guilty about any of that because we've never advocated forsake all other things other than the goal. I I don't believe, and this I may be ruffling feathers here, but I don't believe that all in all the time is a sign of mental toughness. I think it's, I think it's a sign of mental inflexibility. I think that the people, I mean, you look at a Goggins, for example, Goggins ruffles a lot of people in his life. He doesn't seem to be inherently happy all the time. And he has as many people have negative interactions with him as positive. He's, he's just so one dimensional and, and being in unable, unable to turn away from the mission and enjoy real life and then get back to the mission. That doesn't scream mental toughness to me. That screams of, I don't get outside my comfort zone. And your comfort zone might be discomfort. 
but it's routine. That's all you know. If you're surrounded by just, I mean, you, if you see this with POWs, eventually people get used to anything. Truly horrific situations you can get used to because it happens over and over and over and then pain's not the same anymore. It doesn't detract from how tough they are, but if it's all you're used to, you don't make the decision every day. Mm-hmm. For someone who would advocate a Goggins-like lifestyle, I think it's actually mentally tougher to be Goggins in the moment and then be totally detached outside of it and then re-engage Goggins mentality in the moment again. Every morning from five to seven, you are David Goggins and outside of that, you're Santa Claus. Love it. You know, that's difficult. That's really real. Or you're Mr. Rogers. I don't care who you want to choose as your archetype for friendly, jolly, great family man or whatever, or woman, whatever your situation in life is, but that's mentally tough. Staying and doing one thing only, it's just like wearing a suit of armor that you never take off. You don't know if your skin is tough underneath. You just know you can't get hurt as long as you don't stray from that one little path. Yeah, I like that. I think it's um, it's looking – so I could probably just come up with all this more fluff to talk about in this in this realm, but you guys get the idea. Mm-hmm. I think we cut our point across, right? So then you transition this – overarching view of like pacing yourself or maybe we could use the word patience like let's practice some patience here with how we outlay our next year and our season how we choose to um how often we choose to race when we choose to prioritize family events or other things or maybe getting sleep or not getting our workout in in the morning because the grand scheme of things being healthy and happy matter more and so so now we're looking, we just did a, an episode, was it last week, Bracken, about, the, we kind of pumped the running public training plan a bit, and we talked about base phase and going into sort of setting mm-hmm. ourselves up for success next year. And and then you say, okay, like if we're going to pace ourselves in the big picture, in the grand scheme of things, we need to look long-term, look ahead, what are we trying to accomplish, not get too caught up in the nuances of today, tomorrow, next week, and like practice pacing ourselves in the grand scheme of things. Um, <clears throat> I think I want to kick it to you to start like how you're, you're looking at something probably with purpose right now. I'm curious yeah. what you're going to pull up here. Um, but let's talk about it now in like a training sense, a racing sense, a long-term progression sense, like pacing yourself. Well, what I was looking up is I wanted to make sure I got the name right. I believe it's Thomas Kroll from the Netherlands. He was the Olympic champion in long track speed skating in the most recent Olympics. And he released, it was kind of unheard of. There's no precedent for this. He released, I think it was like a three to five year build to the Olympics. I think it was like a three year. You, didn't you mention this in something? Yeah. something I've... So I think it's Thomas Kroll, but go go on and look and just... Um, find that document. He released all of his travel workouts. Everything's compiled into one PDF, I believe, and you can read it. And what it shows is the intentionality of an Olympic champion, where he didn't work in terms of microcycles or macrocycles. He worked in terms of years. So I guess he still did, but his his scope was a little bigger than what we think about. And that, it's a fascinating document to read because there's nothing flashy that you can't point to a workout for why he's mm-hmm. good, but you can point to a body of work in a progression. And it got me thinking back, Kirk, what was your middle school mile? 5'11". And then what was your high school two mile pace? Nah, oh, 4'55". And what is your 
current 5k pace? 459. All right. So the point here being, if you talk to someone, they said, I can currently run a mile PR in five minutes and I want to be able to hold that for a 5k. I have nine months. What can we do? There'd be a lot of things you would try to do, but you would ultimately fail. Most likely, yep. And mine, I was I was five twenty seven, I think, freshman mile. Senior year, my pace was four fifty six per mile for a two mile, and then my five kpr is five oh two per mile for three miles. And mm-hmm. you, t- we had uh, Tyler on who was a thirty forty four, I think, ten k runner in college, which is fast. Something like that. Yep. But now he's a two twelve marathoner. Which means night and day difference. He's basically holding his college 10k pace for an extra 20 miles. No big deal. No, it's not. <laughs> it's just simple, simple, easy. Mm-hmm. Just extend, mm-hmm. right? But those are the kind of things that can only be accomplished with long-term progression of training. And my extension of my speed ended in 2015. That going from mile pace to two mile pace to three mile pace probably could have kept that for four miles by the end of 2015, right around five mm-hmm. minutes per mile. And, uh, and then it went broken toe, Achilles, hamstring, knee surgery, knee surgery, uh, hernia. That's been my last, well, now, I mean, I guess it's moving up on five years of disjointed training. So the moment my yeah. training got disjointed was the moment I stopped extending that lifelong progression of pace. Mm-hmm. And what Thomas Kroll didn't do is stop his progression. What Tyler German hasn't done is stop his progression. What you've done is you've rejuvenated your progression. You've gone back to forget hero workouts, forget scripting things precisely. I'm going to always keep the ball rolling, live to fight another day, and string together months and months and months of training. And then you arrive at that point of the person who would have asked week one, cut a minute off my 5K. But it was done, all all the common threads for all of us was that it was done when you stepped back, took that 30,000 foot view, and said, let's just take unlimited time and see where we get here. Yeah. It's exactly true. And I think that's such an important reminder for literally everybody until you are tapering or sharpening into like pick the thing on your calendar. And then you're what I would say allowed to quit pacing yourself in the regards like, okay, now I take these six weeks or four weeks or three weeks and prioritize top performance on a day that matters. But trying to do that week in and week out, Mm -hmm. month in and month out leaves your long-term progression squashed you literally put the fire out before it even has a chance to grow into a big massive impressive fire you just this little flame keeps getting just water thrown on it every time you cut the process short never amounts to anything right and so i could not agree with that more bracken i think just touching on me a little bit i mean yes i've stayed healthy which is good i haven't you know i was running three days a week forever forever being i started running again in november of 2020 i took five months off um I was running three days a week, sometimes two to be careful. I remember a couple days I ran two days and then cross country skied the rest, for example. Then I kind of filtered in four days a week, like eight months later, I finally get myself up to four days a week of running. And then I hold there for a year. And then I finally am up to five days a week of running now. And you know what? I'm training as if I'm in like a transition from base to race phase. I'm always prioritizing. If I have to question what I should do, go longer and go slower, meaning Want to go rip up some 400s? Okay, well, how can I slow myself down? Well, how about I run 200 meters between them and I keep 
I keep those that 200 meters at seven minute pace. So I don't charge up too much. I'm not allowing myself to sharpen the tip of my spear, which just keeps me extending out like my stay power work, right? Which you could look at as long-term progression. And I don't need to get too far into the weeds on that, but I just wanted to touch on it in the sense is where like, I'm not trying to peak for anything. And so what I'm doing is sustainable Mm -hmm. pacing myself for long-term. I'm not trapping myself in a corner when I have nowhere to turn them because I'm not throwing these VO two max type workouts at ourselves. And a lot of us end up doing that is what we end up doing is we end up trying to follow a progression. Oh, this race pops up and I, now I want to go, I got a, the jingle bell run and I want to really impress this chick I work with and I'm going to go get real fast for it. Okay. Like what's your plan after that? What is, what are we really doing here? Mm -hmm. And people end up getting caught up in that. Um, And again, this is intermixed with life, I believe, as well. And you just end up in this place where suddenly you're not seeing the results you want. You're feeling burnt. Things are a mess at home. And when you put your shoes on and then you're like, what am I even doing? That's worst case scenario. But just to piggyback on what you're saying with a few details about why I think I haven't burnt myself out and re-picked up a progression is because I haven't tried to get ready for one thing. It's just like, Kirk, why don't you try to stay healthy for once? (laughs) How about that, right? And you're probably going through the same thing, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's been really, really helpful to host a podcast. It's like therapy, dude. <laughs> and you get to look at all these examples of people who have done it and come out the other side. Either did it wrong, came out the other side and fixed it, mm-hmm. or they did it right and they're reaping the rewards. And the common thread with every single person we've ever talked to that's been successful is that you're rewarded for building your engine as big as you can for as long as you can. I would say the, ex- I wouldn't even say the exception. The far end to the left of the spectrum would be VJ Jones, who's done a bunch of sharpening up for 3K races and short course races and sh- focusing on the races he's he thinks that he can get to right away and win. But he's even he had his long-term five-year progression trying to extend up to a 13-mile a mountain altitude race. He'll sharpen down throughout that process, but his guiding light is to be able to win a world championship in the mountains at altitude for a 13 to 15 mile race eventually and be really good at 3K along the way. Like that is the common thread. And so maybe the best thing you can do with a training plan looking at 2023 is say, where would I like to be in 2024? What would I love to be able to do? And now reverse engineer, what would I do to get there? And then say, if that's perfect world, I would do all this training. Now pare it down. What could I do within the confines of my life? Like what is the highest level of training I can still do while being the highest level of functioning everywhere else? And now put that into perspective of here are the races I want to do along the way. How do I maybe tweak and change things so I'm at least ready for those kind of things? And then that would be your season. Mm Mm-hmm. That looking two years ahead and then planning the year out would probably be the freeing, the most freeing way of doing a training block. And then you would find what everyone finds out, which is when I train for something long and far away, I PR my short stuff along the way. As long as I'm doing a few intentional pieces along the way, which we talk to ad nauseum throughout other episodes. But that pacing long term is the only way to make sure that A, you can have a real chance of hitting your goals, but B, you're not sick of the sport by the time you get there. That's kind of cute too, isn't it? That's been one of the biggest things. Obviously, I'm trying to stay healthy and get fit, but I'm looking forward to each workout because I'm not burnt in between. 
I'm able to do things if I work a little too spicy. Like some of these tempo runs, I'm running a little too hard, but it's okay because I'm not doing anything else in between to push me over towards the edge. And I'm doing it intentionally. So like if I'm going to run like right now, 525 pace is way too fast for me for a tempo run. But it started at 555. <laughs> like that, that is a guardrail. Mm-hmm. Putting things in like that so that I'm not going out, like Tyler said, I don't set out to run a pace. I set out to run my reps the best way I possibly can. And after doing that for months, eventually the goal is you can run that pace. That's kind of how these things are going. Like fill the workouts the best you can instead of forcing a pace. Now we all, we're all about pace and heart rate and all these things some of the time, but those lead you down the road towards overreaching or overexpecting or shortening training cycles or pivoting towards races. Well, it's like that more is more mentality. Like more is better, more is, Mm -hmm. you know, equals results. And I think if I had to pick a camp at this point, I'm going to go with less is more. If we're talking about long-term progression of sport, we're going to talk about getting to the end of your season or your A race or whatever it is intact and still having mental fortitude to push on the day that matters. If you've filled your bucket on being a hero in every workout and every little race leading up to it, and pretty soon you're so cooked and your flame is just an embarrassing Mm -hmm. little sputtle and you get to race day and you happen to get a couple bad nights sleep and the kid at home was sick and then you get there and there was just no reserves. Your bucket is overflowed because you filled it too much earlier in the year with other stuff that you really needed to, to draw from or put into that bucket. And you had great success at times, I'm sure. You thought it was sustainable, but it's like backing off with foresight. God, foresight is just what I'm learning. It's just being able to look ahead and be like, you know what? I got four hours of sleep, two nights in a row, and I've been eating like garbage. You'd think maybe that's the reason to go push my luck with my workout this weekend, but maybe it's actually the reason to not. Maybe I just feel a little sleep-deprived and gross today and push this off till tomorrow or the next day and just recharge. I have athletes, I had a couple of them, were traveling this last week or two, and they apologized. Like, I'm sorry I got to Tuesday and then work got ahead of me and I had to fly back from Europe and I'd only got two workouts in and I feel like a failure. And I said, you know what? I said, this might be the best damn thing for you. You know what? It's okay. You didn't try to put you didn't try to fill a bucket with more than it could handle. And probably in three weeks we'll look back and you're gonna be feeling as good or better than ever because you didn't burn the candle at both ends. You didn't overfill your bucket. Another athlete, a different example, but the same thing. And it's like, you know what? If you get back home and you get to your routine or whatever had happened to cause you to miss training, I'm gonna trust it was for good reason and that you're gonna be better off instead of trying to make it all work and come home burnt. Now you're gonna come home motivated and maybe because your A race isn't for three months, we're going to be just fine as long as we don't start compounding weeks like this together. We don't compound these missed workouts. And sometimes I think that might be the way to go. Some of my most successful athletes are like life humans who aren't perfect, but in general, we're getting the work done with modifications along the way. And they're still hungry because now this guy gets back from Europe and he's like, I feel fat and sloppy and kind of disappointed in myself. Know what's going to happen? His bucket's got some room in it now Mm -hmm. to train and feel good. And I'm not promoting like slacking on purpose, but what I'm saying is like he might have overfilled his bucket and then who knows where he would have have ended up if he tried to do that too many times in a row. Yeah. And so the more is more thing or the more is better. Sometimes it's like, look at your bucket. Am I feeling just exhausted and split? And not to go on a rant or a ramble, but I do have another athlete of mine who uh, we're taking a break right now this fall. She is cooked. 
she's cooked. She's trying to be a busy mom and getting up early and squeezing her workouts in. I can't get my long run in until Sunday night because the kids got soccer tournaments. We fried her. She fried herself trying to please me. And it was like, you know what? Let's back off. And guess what when we resume? We're taking a whole training day out of it. We're going to two rest days a week. We're going flex schedule. We're learning because she was running some really good stuff early in the year. And guess what? Her bucket was just drowning. And even though on paper it didn't look like, what, are you running 30 miles a week and you're doing this? Like, oh, she's not overflowing or overfilling her bucket. But you know what? All that other stuff added up on mm-hmm. top of it, lack of sleep. So to piggyback what you said about VJ Jones, I was that reminded me is that pacing himself and patience long term, I would say less has been more for VJ Jones. Yeah. And I'm outlining that sort of philosophy, in which I think I'm buying into more and more through a few examples. I don't know if that was long-winded or not, but you get the point I'm making. Yeah, yeah. And and to be clear, we're not advocating skipping workouts. No, nope. we're not advocating looking for reasons not to. We're saying that there are excuses and there are facts. Right. Like if your job is to dump a big pail of water into your bucket that day, and you're like, it's too hot outside to grab the pail, or the pail's dirty, or my hands have blisters on them. Or I don't feel like walking out to the pail. Those are excuses. Walking out there with the bucket and saying, with the pail and looking into it and saying, that water is all the way up to the brim. That is a fact. But the difference is you don't just drop the pail on the ground and walk away. You take that chance to add a few drops into the bucket and then you tend to your bucket and you tend to the pail. This is your chance to repaint your bucket or clean your pail or tidy up the yard around the bucket and the pail. That's the difference between real successful athletes, between pros and between amateurs or between uh, successful amateurs and people who are just dabbling. When the bucket's full, they don't drop the pail and walk away. They tend to the entire process in a way that as soon as that water drops down a little bit, they are ready to immediately fill that back up in a a Mm -hmm. smooth, functional way, in a hungry way, rather than a Oh, I, where did I put that bucket yesterday? I don't even know where I put that. And now the yard's a mess. I don't even, I should probably tidy that up before, you know, it's one thing begets the other. When you quit and give up and walk away, that means you're more likely to do that. When you adapt and take care of the things that need to be taken care of, even if it's not actively putting water into the bucket, it still keeps that process greased. And then you're more likely to do it again the next time. Yeah. It's tough. Like, I've had to learn this lesson many times and I'm sure I will again in other areas of my life. Like we're just trying to talk about run performance specifically, but you could screw this up in lots of ways and start sucking with your work performance or all sorts of things. Get divorced as you alluded to with some of the best athletes we know. And not even the best athletes. How many age groupers do we know? Open class who just go in and get obsessive about something and three years later, their their wife or their husband's not living in the same home as them anymore. Yeah. They just fall out of love with it because they've just, you know, it's like you get a, you know, your three-year-old, you get a new toy and you play with it constantly till it breaks. Mm-hmm. That couple that meets each other and they're all in on day two and they just play with it so much till it breaks and there's nowhere to go from there. It's like you burnt your relationship out in three months. That flame burned hot and fast and it's gone yep. now. I mean, how many people have done that? Like that slow, steady burn is the one that sticks around and has you enduring um, through time. It's very true. I had a point I wanted to make, and then you said something I forgot. I'll, I'm sure it'll come to me. Oh, I know it was. It was just, it was, it was the fact that like, 
what you're talking about, and I'm saying I've had to learn this lesson many times, is like, God, it's like a hindsight thing. You look back and you go, oh, shoot, that bucket was overflowing at a steady drip for a while. And then the, the waterfall poured in and broke the camel's back. And, and it's, it's maybe almost like having to do that. Like I got a couple athletes racing just so much right now. And you know who you are. I don't even need to say your names. It's like, sometimes you got to learn, right? You got to learn that way. But once you can develop that foresight, Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's sort of crucial. I think you've arrived there too, a little bit. I, I think I have with, in relations to my training anyways, I have other life stuff. I, I need to work on pretty big time, but um, it seems like you're kind of there too, a, a, a little bit. I would, I would think so. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's a question I want to address actually on our next episode. There was a very interesting thread on Let's Run, which happens less and less these days. But it was, what's the biggest mm-hmm. difference between pros and the rest of us? And there were a lot of really bad answers. But there are some good answers. But one of the things that I think is most indicative of a pro runner, when I think a true professional, it's that... They seem to be able to feed entirely off their good performances and forget about their bad performances in terms of it holding them back immediately. Mm. They can just, all right, whatever. They, 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 they are masters of justifying where they're at in training. Yeah, this, this shouldn't be great right now. Or, yeah, it was great. I'm really pleasantly surprised at this stage of training I ran so well. But they're, never, they're not bogged down by it. They're only buoyed by things. Mm-hmm. Whereas we kind of go from high to low to high to low. They stay middle or high, middle or high. They don't drop real low. And if they do, it doesn't change the process for the really good ones. They just get right back to work. Right. And so I would challenge people that it would be a very interesting exercise for you to try to arrive at the first third of your season races one block of training behind where you would prefer to be and expect to do well. Love it. And expect to do well. So rather than arriving thinking I've done everything I can for this race, arrive thinking I'm doing everything I can for my next race. Yeah. It's a very, very challenging thing to do, but a true pro would arrive and say, I understand I can run really well off base training. I understand I can run really well off transitional base. And if it doesn't go well, we don't throw everything out. We just say, huh, that might be what happens. Cool. I'm excited for the next one because I know my fitness is going to be better. And you keep moving forward regardless of that first roadblock you hit. I think that's one of the biggest issues between pros and amateurs is that amateurs have their first rude awakening. And instead of saying, ah, eh, that's race rust, or I just wasn't ready, or I'm not totally prepared, or I wasn't mentally dialed in, the amateur throws out the training plan and goes all in on an intensity block to try to regain whatever they felt they've lost. We didn't lose anything. You just didn't have all of your things yet. Right. And that's the, that would be my big challenge. Try to stagger your blocks one longer than what you think you need to do and arrive confident and do not deviate. Yeah. If you don't PR your 5k in April, that's okay. Doesn't mean it's not working. Doesn't mean you're not going to be the best you need to be at the end of the season. I think it's just, I think the point I really want to get across as far as, as we transition into base building is sort of that practice patience, practice pacing yourself. Yes. We can mean that literally in your workouts. Like as Tyler German said in his quality work, he's working with a high end coach who's paid to do this full time for professional or semi-professional runners. They're not working at race effort in their workouts. They're working at a notch below always. And yes, sometimes they make mistakes or they miscalculate or they have time trials where they are going all out. 
but the point is to make their quality sessions manageable so that they are ready to do the next one because they're not fried from all the previous work. And you can extend that out into your base build, meaning like, eh, if I'm wondering how hard or fast or long or short I should go, the answer is a notch below what you think. The answer is do whatever it takes to stay injured or injury free and, and hungry, even if that means choosing life events over training sometimes or choosing sleep versus not. Just long-term progression. Don't worry about whatever is Bracken probably gave you the best advice of the whole podcast. Don't worry about what's on your race calendar next. Look one past that always and think, what is it going to take to get to there? Hungry, healthy, not burnt. Bucket isn't overflowing at all ends. Because when your bucket's overflowing at all ends, you leave your race result up to chance. One little thing or two little things go wrong in the lead-in, and it's enough to flow that bucket over. But if life is pretty relaxed and you found a good balance, maybe you get two bad nights of sleep or you get a cold leading into your race but you haven't been so bugged out from the rest of life that you can somehow still pull through on race day when circumstances aren't perfect. The people who aren't overflowing at all ends are the ones who pull that stuff off. The ones who are constantly in a tipping point state are the ones who any little straw breaks the camel's back. And that's not the athlete you want to be. You want to be the athlete who's ready to crank. And so just important to remind as we head into base phase for some of you. Perfect. Good end right there. We could, should we? I think so. Tyler's point is probably, like that little piece there is probably everything people need to know about the insight into how you should train yourself. He said, we never go all out. Well, I screw up from time to time. Yeah, you know, there's workouts. I fry myself. But that's exactly the point. There is baked in leniency there. If you're shooting for a pace notch slower than what would be destructive, you're always building interest. And then when you screw up or you get excited or a buddy shows up or there's someone attractive on the side of the track and you overtip that day, that's absorbed. But when you aim for the finest point of training, there's no wiggle room for mess up because you can always get sharper later, but you can't undo once you're done. Once you're cooked, you can't undo it. All that takes then is time which is the last thing you're going to want to dedicate at the time of the year where I want to be fit and fast now and I'm burnt. Yeah. I remember a time for you OCR folks, Robert Killian, after becoming, I don't think he's ever finished up the top three in a world champs he showed up to, took three full months off of training because he recognized he was cooked. He'd screwed up. He came back and then he was the world champ the next year. Don't know if you guys remember that. And he sucked for four months. He reset and recalibrated, looked long-term, paced himself and figured it out. Took his lumps. Got scrutinized for it. Got questioned. But he knew. And he didn't care. And all I remember is Robert Killian was a world champion. Yeah. And you know what? Tyler Germain, I asked him, how do you not get burnt out? You're running 100 to 130 mile weeks for the last decade. You want to know how that is? I think that gentleman has struck a good balance of knowing when to strike and knowing when to back off. Enjoying the process. Making sure he's not too cooked. His wife is also a high-level professional endurance athlete, so they they fly under the same wavelength. But point being is the only way you do that a decade straight is by pacing yourself, and I don't mean literally. Yeah, but also literally. Do you remember his reply? He said, "Because it's pretty." He said, "It's easy." Oh, yeah, yeah. I suppose also literally. He said three. He said four or five times a week. I'm just, I'm out there just jogging. He said, "In the speed, the workouts, the speed, you get to that place where you can run where the speed's easy." said, don't get me wrong. It's not always easy, but he used the ease, the word easy twice. 
He didn't say I'm going out and I'm hammering for 100 to 130. He said, you get to the, you, you find a place where it's easy running. Yep. If you don't know how to navigate this, by the way, just hire one of us as your coach. We'll help you. <laughs> or anyone. <laughs> At least we'll help. We'll help hold you back on the training front in the appropriate way. Yep. We can't help you with your, you know, your husband or wife, but maybe we can. Sometimes I feel like a therapist, Bracken. I don't know about you, but. This is the time. I think you find someone you respect. And even if you don't want their coaching, hire them for one hour. Tell them. Yeah, consult. Yeah, it doesn't have to be us. We're obviously, we think we're good at that kind of thing, but there are hundreds, maybe thousands of people in this country who also are probably pretty good at that thing. Find someone. Mm -hmm. Hire them for an hour. It'll be the best money you've spent this year because you get to tell them everything you've been thinking and they get to see it from an outside perspective and tell you what their advice would be. And then you get to incorporate that yeah. into that. It's like having a, a little guest host of your own episode for one to just guide you down it. Super helpful. I agree. I do have a few spots open for coaching as well. I think a, a, a coach's goal should be to eventually potentially coach an athlete so they one day, if they so choose, can spread their wings and fly on their own. I've had a few that have spread their wings. I'm very excited to see what they do on their own. So I do have a few spots open if timing is good for you too, but... I do not, but I will happily sit down for a consult. Yeah. Um, anything else? I think uh, I think I got my points across. It's more of a PSA for me. I think you listen to that last episode. You combine it with this one. Then you go listen to a few about how to actually build out a season. You just remember that cardio is king. Get out there and spend time moving. All right, folks. See ya. <laughs>